Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, my name's Nick and I'm host of the Winning with Shopify podcast. It's an absolute honor to have you with us if it's your first time. If you've been with us for some time, welcome back. You're incredibly welcome to, uh, to listen to all the episodes. As you've probably seen by the title and for anybody that has been listening the last few weeks, you'll know we're right in the middle at the moment of an SEO series where we're talking about the four key elements of SEO. So that's keywords, technical, content, and then onto off-site. I did have a couple of guests lined up for today, but unfortunately, neither of them could schedule anything to record with me. It's been a very busy few weeks for a lot of people in our industry. There's a huge amount going on. Certainly in the UK, the economy is starting to wake up and starting to get used to what is the new norm. So apologies, but it's just going to be me today talking about SEO. Today's episode, as you've probably seen in the title, is going to be purely focused on content. And content, as you've probably heard, is king in the SEO world. Just before we dive in, I'm always reminded to make sure I plug the show quickly. So please feel free to switch off for a second if you want to, but please do support the show. Go and check us out on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, and I'll mention something about the group later, about something you can get involved in, which I think could be quite exciting. And also, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. We're posting every Friday. In the UK, we're posting about midday. So it'll reach the US by probably about 7 or 8 in the morning. And if you're based in Asia, that'll probably be 7 or 8 at night on a Friday. So don't miss an episode. Hit the subscribe button. And we hope that you enjoy all of the good content that we put together. So as I mentioned, today we're talking about content. So content, content, content. So the text, the imagery, the video on your website. For those of you who haven't heard me talk about my background, and I get quite a lot of questions about this, just to give you a quick overview as to why I'm qualified to talk about this, and I'm not just a presenter who sits here and asks questions, I've been working in the PPC and SEO industry for just under 15 years now. I've worked with brands uh, right the way from your kind of big global retailers like TJX, who own TJ Maxx in the US or TK Maxx in the UK, right the way down to lots of little startups, Shopify stores. I've worked across B2B industries where people are trying to generate leads on their website. And I've worked in a whole host of other companies along the way. Something I've noticed that's been the same problem, and it is a problem, but it has been the same problem right the way throughout has been content. There's a huge amount of different views on this. There's lots of myths. I'm going to try and bash away some of those myths today and give you guys a really nice, simple list of how to look at the content on your website, what the content is, and how to optimize it for SEO. And the first point I'm going to make before we dive into some of my uh, bullet points I'm going to run through today, the first point to make is please, 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 every time you write anything or look at your website, 
do it for your customer first. If your customers like it, so will Google. And the SEO bit becomes easy. Appreciate that SEO for a lot of you is starting out is going to be incredibly difficult. And certainly one of the questions we had, which I'll come on to a little bit later, was around how long does it take a new store to rank on Google? I'm going to cover that off as a question right at the end, because that's a question we've had sent in, which I think is incredibly relevant and will be also very relevant to next week's podcast. It'll be a really nice link in at the end of this episode. So without further ado, I'm going to dive into my points and we're going to crack on with talking about what SEO content is. So the content is text. So every single word across your website that users can see and some of the stuff in the code. It's also every single image on your website, right the way from your logo to a uh, background on your menu to the product images, any landscape shots you've got on categories, images that have been put into blog posts, stuff in your footer, your FIFO or Trustpilot widgets. All of those images are important to content as well. And the final one is video. I'm going to knock down some SEO myths on video today and give you some top tips on uh, on what to do. The two big questions I think people should be asking right now and hoping I answer, and I'm going to tackle them head on in what I'm going to talk about is what is bad content and what is good content? The short answer is bad content is content that your customers hate. So if customers come onto your website because they've landed on a product page or a category page or something like that, and they look at the page and go, oh my gosh, what is this? The images and the text and any video stuff there, this doesn't make sense. That is bad content. And good content is content that they land onto your website and throughout the entire journey, like, this is great. Oh my gosh, look at that product. Or, oh my gosh, how did I end up putting $1,000 or £1,000 worth of stuff into my cart? That is good content working. And we're going to tackle some of my top tips in what content is. But essentially, as I mentioned, you want to make sure your content works for your customers first. The biggest issue, and I put it into every pitch I have ever done, the biggest issue I find in businesses is you get so bogged down with your own kind of tunnel vision approach to what your products are, what your categories are, what you're doing as a brand, that you start to lose sight of what your customers are doing. And the only reason any of us got out of bed this morning was to serve our customers. If you look at it that way, then instantly, without even hearing any of my top tips, you can start looking at your content saying, ah, we, that product's name there, that's what we would call it. I don't think a customer would call it that. And so if we don't think a customer would call it that, Henry Ford said, you're probably right. Therefore, you probably want to think, what would a customer call it? And that's where you need to go back to episode one and listen about keywords and actually build a list of keywords. So then you can work out how educated are our customers, how much do they know, and that will then start to define some of these bits. I've got 11 top tips, even though I've put the header 10 top tips. So we'll call it 10 and a bonus. So my top 10 tips and a bonus one on video at the end as well. Um, But I'm going to plug through these now. And again, if you've got any other questions, please feel free to respond to the episode, to this specific episode on our Facebook group, the Winning with Shopify Facebook group. I'd be very happy to answer those. I've answered a couple this week. Um, And I'm going to try and be a little bit more active on there over the next few weeks, especially as as SEO is a a really, really key part of my experience and, and sort of what I've been doing with businesses for so many years now. But without further ado, I'm going to dive into my 10 top tips and a bonus one at the end. So the first thing, and I've kind of mentioned this already, and I'm going to expand on this now, is write for the customer not from your data sheets. And obviously, it might not be data sheets. It might be just your own internal knowledge, that sort of thing. But what you really want to find out, and you can talk to customers, 
or you can have a look at keyword data, or you can have a look at different conversion rates on your website based on where people land on the site to then start to determine how educated your customer is and therefore what we need to tell them. And what I mean by writing for your customer as well means that when you upload a product, you're not just going to put in four, five, six bullet points saying, this is the size, this is the weight, this is how powerful it is, this is the warranty. That's all important and you need that. Otherwise, Google's going to be a little bit confused as to what this product is. However, what you really want to do is have something emotive. You've probably heard me use the phrase, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I use the phrase a lot that marketing has been lost from digital marketing. You need to stop being functional and start being emotive. So there needs to be something to say, this product will change your life. This product will take that 25 minutes a day that you loathe and don't want to spend doing something. This product will change that and make it two minutes. Or one I saw the other day was a shaver for men, and you can guess whereabouts and it's not on your face, um, but a shaver for men, which is completely safe. So the content I was seeing was people putting this razor all over their hands and it wasn't cutting their hands. There was no pain at all. There was that within video, within imagery. And then the, the, the big headline I could see is the world's safest razor. And I thought that's quite a cool piece of content, isn't it? Instantly, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, wow, this sounds amazing. Well, actually, a lot of razors are safe. And actually, they're certainly electric razors. And there's even a law about that. But you see how the content was written for the user. So those Instagram ads that I've seen, the landing page I looked at, all of those sort of things had the same message going through that this is the world's safest razor. It is nearly impossible to cut yourself or hurt yourself with this. But what it will do, it will cut hair. Again, good content. There's video on there. There's images that clearly demonstrate the benefits of this product. And then there's also text to support that. My second point. So before you take my first point and write an essay about each product, the good news is you don't need to write an essay about every product. My second point, and I went on a content course a few years ago that changed the way I do everything, that changed the way I write emails, changed the way that we write content as a business, changed the way that I write LinkedIn posts, changed the way that I write blog posts, guides, case studies, etc. Anything I'm writing now. The point really is I write it long, I chop it down, and then I post it. So what I mean is write what you want to say in as many words as you want, possibly even as many words as you can. So you might have a sentence that's 30, 40, 50 words. That's fine at this stage. Then what you're going to do is chop it down to make it as short and punchy as possible. On the course, they told us to try and write a, I think it was a five-word story. So it had to have a, an intro, something went wrong, and then it was fixed. And so it was something like, again, this is going to be longer than that, but it was along the lines of Bob fell over, called an ambulance, and they fixed his knee. It wasn't broken. And again, you can chop that down into sort of four or five words, making these kind of little stories almost in every sentence. If you just write paragraphs and paragraphs of text about every product, Google will hate that. What Google's looking for these days is a balance. You need enough content that you can answer any questions that a customer has. And then you need as little content that they will actually read it. So paragraphs are not very effective unless they're very short and punchy. What does work are bullet point lists, Little, you've probably seen the kind of three icons across the screen horizontally. So one on the left, one in the middle, one on the right-hand side. And those icons with one or two words underneath as a kind of heading, 
they're really, really key. So what you might put on every product page is something to, you know, if one of your USPs is super fast delivery or we only package and post with green uh, delivery companies, so they carbon offset whatever the vans use in terms of fuel. We only package using paper and card. And also, if you want to make a return, we'll come and pick it up for you so you don't post it back and, and, and ruin the environment in the process. So again, if those, if those are the things you do, why not have just three very simple little statements with icons further down, which means the user can just glance at it and know exactly what it is. If you write that as three or four sentences in a paragraph, they're not going to read it. And certainly certain bits of that content are not going to stand out. So again, write it long, chop it down, post. Point number three is around A-B testing. So if you're going to make quite a big difference to a product, why not, if you had a thousand products, why not take 10 of your most popular products, five of them you keep exactly the same as you always have. So you know, whatever happens with this A-B test, you've got at least five of your products is still going to convert well and still sell well. And then the other five, you're going to make some very, very extreme changes. You're going to add some more content, Again, keeping it informative, you're going to add some more bullet points, you're going to add some icons to that page, talk about the delivery, the process, the dispatch times, all of this stuff, you're going to chuck it all in, design it nicely on five other products, and then compare the two and see which one started to convert. See if the changes you've made have improved conversion. And by doing it in such an isolated test as well, you can also then see if Google started to pick up on the changes you've made and started to rank those products better. You can monitor your landing page traffic coming in. So testing is incredibly important to this. So if you don't have much data in terms of what your customers love and don't love, you haven't done a feedback survey, testing like that is a really good way using real-world data to see what improvements you can make. Point number four, and I've kind of covered this, is try to cover everything without overwhelming anyone. So if you were, again, if you were to put too much in and somebody lands there and they've got 20 screens worth of stuff on every single product page to scroll through, it's probably going to be a little bit too much. You may need that depending on the product. You know, if someone was about to spend £5,000 on a big suite of furniture or something, or a new car, actually, you'd probably do need that amount of information. But it might be better to have it on little tabs. So instead of them scrolling through to get to stuff, if you had an area called specifications and then five tabs, one saying the performance and economy, another one saying reviews, another one saying what, how much is this car going to devalue over time, all that's, again, using tabs is a really smart way of doing it. And then within those tabs, don't just chuck in a whole ton of text. Why not have them in bullet points or have a little graphs or diagrams to explain the performance and economy or show somebody that this is 50 miles per gallon, you know, is it or kilometers per gallon sort of thing. Kilometers per liter, I think it is, if we're going metric, something like that with like a little dial. It looks a little bit, little bit like a speedometer in a car. Super simple, you can set it up. Your developers can probably even automate that. So you just put the number in the back end system to say, this car is 50 miles per gallon. And it'll automatically make that little icon for you with the dial pointing at 50. And it will either be green, amber or red, depending on how good it is. That's a good piece of content. Google's going to love it because users will love it. Point number five is about structure. So again, if we're going to be putting more and more content in, have a real think about everything from the big overall structure of your website. So what the main menu looks like, where buying guides fit into that, where sizing guides come in, where your blog posts come in, how important they are to customers, what's the call to action, etc. right the way down to individual products and especially categories. I think that one of the biggest opportunities in, in e-commerce websites has got to be the categories. Most people searching for a product, unless they search for a very specific product, will want to land on a category. They will want a range of products to have a browse through. 
So what you want to think about is the design, the content, and what that category tells the user. If you just have a title on there saying handbags, and then a list of handbags, it doesn't really say anything, does it? It doesn't tell them anything about your business. There's no why buy from us. There's no brand. And I'll come on to that a little bit later as well. But you want to have a think about where is somebody most likely to land on our site doing a keyword search? And you can do that by just searching some of the keywords on Google and see what pops up. And I guarantee the less specific the keyword, the more it's going to be towards the homepage if they were a handbag only business. So if they just sold handbags, if they sold quite a few different things, not just handbags, then they're probably going to land on a category. And if somebody searched for a very, very specific, you know, Kate Spade, New York, black leather handbag, well, in that case, there might be a category with just the, the black leather handbags on the Kate Spade website, or you may land it specifically down into that product, depending on where you clicked. So again, have a think about that overall structure of your site and actually what is going to be the user journey as a result of that structure. Point number six, and now we're really getting into the gold stuff now, I think, USP content is as important as product specifications and descriptions. USP content, so unique selling proposition or unique selling proposal or whatever you want to call it, but USP is something that is unique to you. So one thing that, again, is lost on a lot of websites is people have almost just grabbed a theme and tried to look like Amazon. The problem is everybody knows who Amazon are. Hardly anybody probably knows who you are. And certainly if we're going to acquire some new customers, we're going to have to do something a bit different. And what we have that Amazon don't is we have the attention to detail in terms of what our brand is. So what I would have a think about is your USPs as a business. What's unique to us? Do we plant trees? Do we um, have some sort of custom delivery process? Is there something specific about our products that is completely unique to us that you can only get from us? Do you offer a lifetime guarantee, which I've mentioned a few times I bought from Craghoppers recently. It's a new store I've discovered. Um, probably tell I'm growing up slightly because it's very different to Nike and Adidas. But the, the thing that really brought me in is most of their products are made from recycled materials. And not only are they recycled materials, I get a lifetime guarantee on them as well. So again, really, really strong USP. And some of them honestly could have been clearer on their website. I think it was when the product arrived and on the label it said, lifetime guarantee, register this product online. And in a way, I was kind of like, I wish I'd known that. I probably would have ordered more stuff. And I did go back and make another order. But if I'd known that in the first place, then that would have encouraged me that this is a good place to buy from. Good for me and good for the environment. So have a think about your USPs, where they fit, and most importantly, how they are displayed on the pages. Do you add three or four in the, in the top um, header of every page? So every page of the site, people can see that you have a thousand FIFO reviews and all these other bits and pieces. Do you weave that into the products themselves? Do you put a little overlay like a little award or rosette or something actually on the product image to say, this is a lifetime guaranteed product? Again, have a think about USPs and where they fit into your design. It also means when you go back to your web guys or your designer, or you might be editing the site yourself, you've got a very specific brief of what needs to be done, knowing full well this can only add value to our proposition. It can only be a good thing. Number seven, and I've come up with a little phrase this one, I'm going to call it the triple B. And what I mean by that is brand beats boring. So three Bs, brand beats boring. I spoke already about the USPs. Now, brand is as important. And again, we've got to be really careful we don't clutter the pages here with too much information. But brand will beat boring any day. And what I mean by boring is what I've said already in terms of too much content, stuff just chucked all over the pages, product descriptions are 20 paragraphs long, 
might all be good stuff, but customers are just not going to read it. Customers don't have the time. The things customers will look at is the price, the image, anything that stands out on the page in terms of SPs or this product's amazing because... And then the other thing they'll, they'll do is they will look for any specifics that they need to find, such as size, uh, weights. Again, depending on some of their specifications, it could be a product they're going to wear or carry on a regular basis. They want to see some of that information. So what you've got to be careful about is not being too boring with your content. And what you should do is invest a huge amount of time and money in your brand. And what I mean by that is it's the logo, the font, the tagline for the business, what it is that makes you unique in those USPs. And therefore, how do you lay out all of your pages? So I've been on sites recently. One was beach themed. And so the background of the website was just a plain white. Nothing special there at all. All the products were all photographed, both with a white background and also on a beach because it was beach themed or in some sort of beach location. So it could have been with a lighthouse in the background or somebody eating fish and chips on the beach. And then they'd also put a very specific image filter across all of the non-white background lifestyle shots. So again, there was a really clear sense of brand in that. They also used to use beach huts. If you go on their delivery page, there would be a picture of a beach hut and somebody from DPD delivering a parcel to a beach hut. And it says, we only use DPD for these reasons. So again, the brand was really strong. And I, and I quite enjoyed the buying experience. It was good. And when, for example, their loyalty program was about collecting starfish and their reviews were, how many starfish do we have? We're a five starfish rather than just five star. So it was a starfish all over the place. Again, really strong brand and it worked for what they were doing. But you've got to think about your audience. If you sell medical products, then perhaps... Brand-wise, you actually want to be a bit more discreet and very professional and trustworthy with the way that you position stuff. So have a real think about brand and then have a look at some other sites and see what they've done that's quite unique in terms of delivering their brand, especially in your industry. So it'll be relevant to, to what you do. Point number eight of our 10 and one bonus uh, tips today. So point number eight is Google monitor bounce rates and engagement. So it has to excite the user because if you don't excite the user, they're going to be bored. They're going to land on the page and go, no, it's not what I'm looking for. Or, oh my gosh, this site's awful. Or I, I need to find out some more about this product, but I'm not reading all that text. You know, I'm going to go to the next one down the list and see if they've got a clearer proposition, especially if they've searched for a specific brand and you're one of 10 people selling it. There's nine other options for them. So you need to be better than the other nine. So again, make sure that you keep an eye on the statistics in Google Analytics. Bounce rates are the biggest killer of SEO. You can get everything right and then your page can load slowly. And if that's happening, check out our previous podcast on SEO technical. But again, it could be that the brand's loading slowly. It could be that they arrive there and they're just overwhelmed by too much text or that it's not clear what you do. A really good experiment to do is to ask people who you know, who don't know your business at all and say, can I just sit next to you and watch you use my website? Obviously, at the moment in the UK, we have a two-meter social distancing rule, so sit two meters away, or ask them if they can have a play with a set up a camera in front of the laptop and then go to your website and just have a play so you can clearly see what they're doing and ask them just to talk out loud. What are they expecting on each page? What wasn't there? There's a really good episode we did with uh, Chris Marshall from OnState, 
And I think it was about seven or eight episodes ago now. So please go and check that out. Chris had some really, really good advice about user testing. And then you can start to work out if people are excited by your pages or not. Again, analytics, you can look at bounce rates, time on site, pages viewed, etc. So have a look at all this data and make sure you are absolutely 100% sure that your experience is good. I know the first question I'm going to get on this is what's a good bounce rate? One that converts is going to be my sort of quick answer. And my not quick answer is going to be a, if you can get it under 30%, you'll be doing incredibly well. If it's over 60%, I would probably do a bit more digging and see if that's okay. And all the other thing I would always do with all data, especially conversion rates, bounce rates, etc., split it by channel. So if you're paying on Google Ads for people to come into your site and your bounce rate is 95%, that means 95% of your budget is completely wasted before people have even had a, had a click on your website, as in to look at a second page apart from the one they landed on. So I definitely look at things like Google Ads, any other marketing you've got going on. Bounce rates, though, as we're talking about today, specifically for your organic search traffic, which is your SEO traffic. You need to make sure those bounce rates aren't too high. If they are, have a chat with your web guys, do some digging and try and find out why they are too high. And perhaps you might then change the design of some of the pages and see if we can lower those bounce rates. If you can take a bounce rate from 90% to 80%, yes, it's still high in the grand scheme of things, but you do now have double the engagement because you've gone from 10% of those clicks to 20% that are now engaging. So if you can expand that even further, then you're really going to be winning and on a, on a good path to getting those uh, really, really important conversion rates. And most importantly, that revenue that you need into your cart and those new customers. So point number nine, customers, do they know you? I'm going to assume not because I'm going to assume that we've got lots of new businesses here. And actually, we do need to educate people on what you do. And even if lots of customers do know you, there will be millions, possibly billions of potential customers out there who don't know you yet, or they've heard of you, but don't know much about you, or they've seen you online, but they don't know much about you. Therefore, you really need to think about what pages are they landing on and how are we introducing them to our brand? So again, categories are probably the most important place to look, followed by products. And don't make the mistake, and it's a really, really good piece of advice, I think, don't make the mistake of optimizing your homepage to talk loads about your business, because that's where you start. If anything, your homepage is where your returning visitors will enter. So what you don't want to do is try and bombard your returning visitors with loads of stuff about you, and your new visitors are learning nothing about you. That is a bad outcome. And point number 10, which is going to be the last one on our list, apart from our bonus one, is that images can kill page speed. Be visual, but be careful. It's my big statement on this. So what I would do is recommend two tools to check page speed, which I think we spoke about last week. GT Metrics. So that's GT Metrics with an X at the end. So go on Google and search GT Metrics. Sometimes it takes five or 10 minutes to get your page speed score especially if you're just using the free one on the site. You don't have to log in or anything. Chuck it in there. Google PageSpeed as well, which is incredibly pessimistic. So be really, really careful about Google PageSpeed tool. It's called Google PageSpeed Tester, I think. Google have a habit of changing the names of stuff every year or two. So as long as you know one of the recent names, you can probably find it by doing a quick search on Google. Um, but Google PageSpeed is very, very quick. does give you some good detailed information. You might need to talk to a web person about this. But with PageSpeed, check your competitors. 
as Chris was telling us last week on our technical episode, e-commerce websites are very, very slow. So e-com sites generally take a while to load as far as Google and GT metrics and all these page speed tools are concerned. Your users probably don't mind waiting a second or two for a page to load. Most of them will probably be on mobile. Mobile is the most popular shopping channel in the UK. I think it's nearly the most popular in the US. And everywhere else, it's a bit of a mix depending on the country. But those are the two main areas I know our listeners are based in. So again, trying to, trying to practice what I preach and keep this focused for you guys. Have a look at what your competitors are as well. And if you can just be 5, 10, 20% quicker than them, I say just, that might be difficult. But if you can just be the fastest out of all of them, then in a sense, that's the kind of box ticked from an SEO perspective. However, do have a chat with your web guys. And if they say, do you know what? There's 10 other quick things we can do, or actually all the images you're uploading are too big. Here's a free tool that you can compress them or actually just shrink down the size. You know, if they're, if they're sort of two meters wide as an image. So if you were to zoom right in on your screen, they'd be two meters wide. You don't need that. The widest you need them is either screen width, if it's a banner image, and if it's a product image, you just you, you could probably even find a plugin to have two different images, one that's super small and loads with the page. So you've got fast page load, and then you could have one that's super detailed that if anybody hovers over, it loads that really big, detailed, high-resolution image to then zoom in and have a look at the detail of that product if you've got images that are that good. So images are really important. I would always recommend answering this question, and that's do we need lifestyle shots? Do we need white background shots? And for most businesses, it will be yes to both, which then means you need to decide, do we have a lifestyle shot as the first image that pops up in the category? So a picture of our sunglasses on the beach or a picture of our medication on somebody's cabinet in a beautiful luxury bathroom somewhere? Or do we need white background ones? Because it's a really specific specification product. And actually, we'll put some lifestyle shots in there as well. But we're going to start off with four shots, you know, one from each angle sort of thing, moving 90 degrees each time around it. Or are we going to have just one white background shot that shows enough? And then we'll have five or six lifestyle shots of people wearing the product, taking it out with them, putting it on the dashboard of their car, whatever it might be. So those are my top 10 tips. And as you're probably aware, we've got an 11th one. I couldn't quite squeeze them all in. The 11th one, or the bonus one, we'll call it, um, is video is king of SEO. And I've written that in speech marks. So I've had loads of people over the years say like, well, we want to be number one on Google. So we've just spent $50,000 on a series of videos. And I say, right, what kind of videos? Where are they going to go? What's the strategy of this? Do you think customers will actually watch them? What you can do, and a quick Google will help you work out how to do this, is in Google Analytics, you can set up an event to see when a video is clicked on. So when somebody clicks the play button, and I'm afraid it's probably going to be quite depressing. So what we often find with video is that people get these beautiful videos shot. They don't advertise them anywhere. They just chuck them straight on the product page of one of their products. They chuck it on there. Nobody watches it. And then there's this moment of, oh my God, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds on these videos. Nobody's watching them. What a waste of money. Again, have a strategy. So don't start with the fact that we want to have videos because they're good for SEO. Start with the fact that who are our customers? What are they interested in? And would a video help sell our product? If so, why don't we actually shoot a video to use as a Facebook ad? And again, if you go a few episodes back, there was a chap called Kevin we had on who works for Voy Media in New York. And Voy Media are experts in Facebook advertising. And he said video is absolutely king for this. Really short, simple videos. Again, that razor I mentioned earlier, I watched a really interesting video where people were trying, not, not in a weird way, but they were trying to hurt themselves with this razor and they couldn't. It was actually foolproof in terms of the protection you get. 
We also worked with an iPhone case company called Mouse, spelled M-O-U-S. They're a Shopify Plus partner. And those guys shoot all of these different videos by dropping phones from all over the place. They got famous by turning up to the Apple store at the front of the queue when the new iPhone was available. And they would always go to like a London or New York or a flagship Apple store. And they would always get the phone quickly, put one of their cases on and start chucking it around in the street outside. They would put it under a bus and ask the bus to drive over it. They would uh, throw it up in the air as high as possible and let it land. They'd get a hammer and start hitting this phone with a hammer. And they'd obviously record all of this, take the phone out of the case and show, look, there's no damage to this brand new phone at all. Our cases, they really do work. They were doing all of this and it was really, really good content. And actually, that's the way that people find the brand in the first place is they see those videos on YouTube and some of them gone viral on YouTube. They got millions of views. They advertise them across Instagram, across Facebook, um, across Twitter, even some of them on LinkedIn for business users to say, why don't you get our phone cases? And what's really interesting, actually, is on LinkedIn, their video strategy was not to show people smashing up the phones or how damage proof they are in their cases. What they did on LinkedIn is they actually showed that once you've got the case, you can then put magnets all over the place and the case itself is magnetic. So you can stick one magnet to the dashboard of your car. You can stick one to the uh, wall in your kitchen and then your phone can just sit there. They're super sticky. So they will will literally hold your phone against the wall or against the dashboard of your car whilst you're driving. And because it's magnetic, they've now added wireless charge to their charges as well. So again, various different USPs, they focused massively on the product first. And because the product was so good, there were some obvious ways of advertising its different audiences, bearing in mind whether it's breakable and all that sort of stuff. One of the reasons I've gone on such a long tangent about this is because now you've got the scope of that, the video was not something that they put on the page of their products and categories or homepage of the site just to get to number one on SEO. That was an afterthought. And actually the video they were embedding on the website in the end, because they did, they did add it in, but the video they were embedding in the end had millions of views. And actually people had already seen it. And when they were scrolling through the product page, you've got your you know, iPhone XS case and then your drop downs of you know, what's, do you want the, you know, generation one, which has not got wireless charge? Do you want generation two, which does have wireless charge? Do you want the magnetic backs? Do you want any accessories added in? All that sort of stuff. And then when you scroll down, it wasn't a, here's a video about the product. When you scroll down, it actually said, watch our viral video on this because they already had millions of views on it. This phone case is unbreakable. Watch these 10 influencers put it to the test. So again, in terms of viral content, really, really smart. And it was not expensive to start, but it was very, very effective. So I hope my top tips have been useful. I've got a few questions as well that I think you should be asking your customers to really answer what is good content. So feel free to write these down and take these away to your customers, chuck them out on a customer feedback survey or phone some customers up or drop them an email and ask them. And there are four questions I've got. And they are, did you know much about the product before you bought it? Did you know what you wanted? What didn't our website tell you about the product? And were there any surprises with the product when the product arrived? or anything that was an added bonus you weren't aware of, or something that wasn't so great about the product, like it didn't come with screws to drill it into the wall if it was a new blind or something like that. So again, I think those are four really key questions. And the final question of those, I think, is really key, the one of were there any surprises? Because actually, if there were any surprises when it arrived, as you will have heard me on many, many podcasts so far mention this, if there were any surprises, the chances are they're probably not going to come back and buy again. 
New customer acquisition through advertising is expensive and it will only get more expensive as more people set up Shopify stores, more people are advertising online. It's only going to get more expensive. So if you make a loss on that first order, but you can get 10 more orders, now you've got a business you can grow. Then if you can make profit on that first order with all the stuff we've been talking about today, getting your SEO right, then you're winning. You're absolutely winning from that first order right the way through to all the repeat ones. There's a question I mentioned earlier that's popped in. That I'm just going to cover really quickly now, and then we're going to call it a day for this week. But the question was, how long does it take a new website to rank? My response to this person, I've, I responded this morning, apologies that we're a few days late. And when I say this morning, this is going to be a week or so before you actually hear this. But the person said, I was really enjoying the SEO series, but how long does it take a new website to rank? Now, what I said is even if you've done all the basic SEO stuff, it might be a few months before Google really starts to put you on the rankings. Something that you want to do is you want to make sure you set up Google Search Console, and then you want to upload your sitemap. Because if you do that, Google now knows that your website exists So if Google doesn't know your website exists, it cannot rank you. So you need to make sure that Google is aware of your website and has a link to every page. That alone is definitely not going to rank you unless you're the only person doing what you do. Or you've got your keyword list wrong and you're targeting keywords with no traffic. So you want to do that first. Then you want to do all the basic SEO stuff. So listen to the last two episodes, this one, and tune in next week to hear the off-site one as well. But I'd massively recommend that once you've done the first three, and hence why we've done it, in this order, once we've done the first three, you want to then do lots and lots of off-site brand awareness. The biggest risk factor for Google from their point of view is you're a brand new business. We know nothing about you. Nobody, no other websites on the entire internet or anybody else mentions you or talks about you as a company or links to you. So we have no history or experience or anything to go off to tell us how safe and secure it is to send traffic to your website. So once you've done all the stuff you can on your website, or not everything, but once you've got your website into a nice position, then you want to look at off-site. So you want to look at how can we get people talking about us. And a couple of spoilers for next week. Firstly, I've lined up somebody from an airline to come and have a chat about their, their outreach strategy for SEO, which I'm very excited about. So we're planning to record it tomorrow. So apologies if they're not on it, but we should, uh, should be going ahead as far as I'm aware right now. And what you want to do is get some mentions and some reviews and some social media activity. Reviews are really good because it's real customers who have reviewed 20, 30, 50, 100 companies on Trustpilot already. And you're one of those. And then Google can look at those reviews and say, yeah, all these reviews are absolutely genuine. They definitely have an order number because Trustpilot has verified them or FIFO or Yotpo, reviews.io, whatever review platform you've used. They can see that these are verified reviews. And they are going to help. So again, tune in next week for more of that. That's the thing that's really going to start driving the site once you've got the website itself in a really good position. The danger is you have the most well-optimized website in your entire industry in terms of technical content, your keyword strategy is right, customers love it. Again, if you don't have anything pointing at the site, you are just this sort of single floating ship in silo. So you need to get the word out there. And again, marketing's been lost from digital marketing. So we need to bring marketing back. You need to start doing what used to be leaflet drops and TV adverts and you know putting stuff on bus stops to say like, go and check out our business or come to a local branch or whatever it is. We need to start doing that online as well. You need to start thinking about display advertising, about social media advertising, about YouTube to build brand and all that sort of stuff that comes with it. 
all of that is going to boost SEO. But thank you so much for tuning in today. Again, I've been overwhelmed by the numbers I've seen on our podcast recently. We've got some very exciting episodes coming up. And we've also got a live Q&A, which I'm planning at the moment. So please keep an eye out for that. I'm going to announce it a few weeks running so that there's plenty of time for people to submit questions. I'm possibly going to have a panel of expert guests who are going to answer those questions. But uh, in the meantime, feel free to go on the Winning with Shopify group, drop us a note if you've got any questions, or you can also go to the Just Ask Parker website, which is justaskparker.com. I am the CEO of the business, so feel free to drop something through there. If there's any specific questions, they either filter through to myself, Caroline, who's the previous host of the podcast. She's currently on maternity leave, but she's still plugging into a few bits and pieces. She uh, can't seem to stay away as much as I try and uh, try and tell her to go and enjoy, enjoy her leave. But um, feel free to drop any questions in and we can have a look at those as well. So thanks so much for listening today. Back again next week. And if, again, if you've got any feedback or any questions, please do feel free to get in touch. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.